Most service dog programs use labs or golden retrievers or the mixture of the two because they're the best dogs to work with. Hey, it's your friend Jason Mraz, the official spokesperson of the Good Tidings Foundation. And what an honor it is. On behalf of Good Tidings Foundation, we welcome you to the fourth season of the Good Tidings podcast that highlights the goodness in people. This episode is proudly sponsored by the San Francisco Giants. You can go to sfgiants.com for updates on the Giants and information on game tickets, special events, and promotions for the 2023 season. And now, enjoy the podcast. Today we have traveled up to Napa Valley on a very rainy, sunny afternoon in the GT van to chat with someone who has founded and runs one of the best grassroots nonprofits you will ever come across called Canine Guardians. So Rochelle Heskett, welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So it was about four years ago when I received a cognitive decline dementia diagnosis, and in my path to a healthy life, my daughter noticed that in other countries, they offered service dogs to dementia patients. Then my wife reminded me that our mutual friend, San Francisco giant great Mike Kruko, had a dog to help him navigate life with his physical limitations. Well, this is Patriot, or The Patriot. We got Patriot last December, and he's a service dog and a game changer, total game changer. When I get home, I'll have anxiety in crowds because I'm you know, fearful I'm going to fall. Somebody will pat you on the back and you're going to go down. So I do have the anxiety when I come home at the end of the, of the day, and uh, he'll hop up in my lap, and uh, he's like a 65-pound quaalude, you know? He just, <laughs> just mellows you out, and just he's unbelievable. I mean, he's a gift. He really is a gift and suggested I reach out to him. So with Mike's unparalleled enthusiasm to help, he introduced me to you the very same day. And I just want to thank you again for what has been pretty much a life-changing experience for me. So first, tell us about how you first got into the service dog business. Well, it all started with my husband, who was at that time not a dog person. And I was missing having a dog. I was raised with dogs. And so about 12 years into our marriage, I decided to get a dog I couldn't keep just to get him used to being around dogs. So there's a program in Santa Rosa called Bergen University. And I received one of their puppies, a golden retriever puppy named Ellie, who I immediately fell in love with, as you can imagine. And I just noticed in Napa that there was people would come up to me and say, where can I get a service dog? And I noticed a great need here in Napa. And so I went back to school at Bergen and became a certified service dog trainer. And that's how it all got started. And now my husband is a 
all the way around service. <laughs> Dog loves dogs. Yeah, and tell us about Bergen. That's interesting. I don't think a lot of people know that there's actually a school for this, correct? Yes, it's called Bergen University of Canine Studies, and it's a full university. So you can get an AA, a bachelor's, or a master's. I didn't want any of that, but I wanted their summer session, which teaches you how to start your own nonprofit and how to train service dogs. Now, I know Canine Guardians is a fully volunteer business. Yes. So tell us about that. And that's quite admirable in today's world to keep it that way. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Up until last year, I hadn't had a paycheck in seven years. So money was very tight. We've gotten to a point now where I can at least receive a very small paycheck. But our other volunteers are mostly puppy parents who take our dog into their home for a year and a half to two years to train them to be service dogs. And so they come to class and they take the dog everywhere they go. Yeah. And the puppy parent thing, is that the hardest part of the business is to find quality puppy parents in your mind? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Because a puppy parent can ruin a dog for training. So we have to be very careful. And if I see that happening, then we have to find a new puppy parent. Yeah, and I, I imagine this scouting for puppy parents, you want this great family, and then yet, because I know with Dana, the, the dog is so amazing, the handoff back to you for the final training, that just has to be difficult, I imagine. Yes, and I went through it because I was a puppy parent first, and I, I cried for two weeks after I gave her back. Her name was Ellie, and it turned out she was placed with a, a veteran who had PTSD, and after having her for three and a half years, he called me and he said, I don't really need her anymore. You want her? <laughs> and I said, absolutely. So we have her now and she's 12 and she's, she's in poor health, but you know, she's still sticking it, yeah. sticking with it. That's good. And I know you have no physical business address per se, other than your home. So tell us what life is like in the house full <laughs> of dogs and puppies and whatnot. It's hectic. Except for all the dogs are seven years and older. They do a lot of sleeping right now, but we have a visiting dog right now. He's in between puppy parents and he's in a year and a half and he's the biggest dog we've ever had. He's just huge. He lays on the couch and he takes up the whole couch and he has a lot of energy and he has got a zest for life. So we're ready for him to go on. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. Puppy parent. <laughs> but we love him. And so the dog, the puppy is born in your home yes. and stays how long, roughly, in your about, home? About four months. Four months, and then goes on to the puppy parent for how long? Usually a year to a year and a half to two years, depending on. And along the way, you're giving them the guidance how to train them and everything they need. Yes, we have class every other week. We are all on a thread, text thread, so we text each other. And we've noticed that puppy parents start competing with each other a little bit. Oh, that, that dog's doing that. Mine isn't. So it's been great. Yeah, that's great. And then the dog will come back to your home with you for kind of final training for the person it's going to go to. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. And then I noticed the breed in layman's terms is a goldador of some sort, which is some sort of mix between you found labs and golden retriever mix has been your best bet yes yeah what are the temperaments are they just getting the best temperaments from both the dogs is that's what's happening yes and yeah. they're smart mm. and they're easy to train and 
most service dog programs use labs or golden retrievers or the mixture of the two. Yeah. Because they're the best dogs to work with. And then is it a constant, okay, now I have a good puppy. I want maybe this dog could be the next mother or father, potentially. You're always on the look for that. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's so interesting. And how do you describe this bond a dog has to their human? And they just know what they're supposed to do. I remember part of my program with you, I had to meet Dana. Mm -hmm. And we went to Napa Valley College. And... We took a little walk, no more than 20 yards, stopped, she sat, and she put her head right to my leg. And you and I looked at her like, is this for real? You yeah. know, I just, I couldn't believe it. And you just, they just know. Yes, they do. I don't understand it completely, but they are just amazing. And what is it about, people are familiar with the red vests that service dogs wear. They seem to know the difference when that vest is on and when it's off and it's a little more playtime. That's part of the training. Yeah. So like when we come to class and we want we let the dogs play, the vests have to come off. And so they know right away when that vest comes on that that means it's time to go to work. And some of the dogs that we're training right now, one of them, when he sees the vest, will run in the other room because he doesn't want to go to work. <laughs> well, so they know. Yeah. They know. And we're, we're sitting here. In an area where you train the dogs a lot, we're in near the college, which you use a lot, and then here socially at the supermarket and a Home Depot, and why are those important to places for the dogs to be? So they get used to working in public, because that's where the recipient is going to be taking them out in public, and they have to learn how to behave. And if they show any aggression towards other dogs or people, then they will not be in the program any longer. Yeah. Yeah, and I noticed even when you handed Dana off to me and we drove away, you even had a tear. It still has to be as hard as the first dog you had. You And you go through this multiple times in a year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I told you when we met today, when I see Dana, I'm probably going to cry. Yeah. So, yeah, you get attached. I mean, they are born in my house. We work with them up until the time they are placed, so... Yeah, you do get attached. In your business for Canine Guardians, how many puppies would you like to have? Or how many litters yielding how many puppies is manageable? Well, our last litter was 11 puppies, and that was a little too much. So I would say, oh, I think six or seven is a good number. And of the puppies born, what are the percentage that are... Because you can tell at some point they're going to be a service dog, and some you sell as pets, Potentially. Yes. yes. And how do you tell that and what's the percentage? The percentage of the dogs that make it is usually about 30 to 50 percent, depending. You can tell how quickly they're catching on to commands and, you know, you have to put the time in. You can't just train them once and expect them to be super dog. And so we just had a, a dog fail because he was terrified of the car. And so it was a lot of drooling and but his puppy parent was a veteran so it worked out really well so she will be taking him to veteran affairs where he can help a lot of veterans yeah yeah and it's interesting i noticed just in following you and talking to you so much i'm always kind of intrigued by all the different names you give these dogs <laughs> and sometimes there's a theme to the litter yeah is that true and, That's true. and, and what does that tell us about that a little well our first litter was born on memorial day weekend 
So their names are Hero, Patriot, Liberty, Glory, Major, and Captain. Uh, so, And then we had one litter. Actually, it was Dana's litter where her sister was born in my car. Oh. So we named them race car names like Danica and Dayton and Bristol. Uh-huh. Yeah, all race track names. That's yeah. funny. That's great. And I know we've talked a lot. We, we have good tidings. You kind of inspired us to take another, develop another part of our mission of our charity and call it Accelerator Program, where we help some charities along the way. And I know we've talked a lot. What are your biggest pressing needs for your charity right now? We're trying to find a facility. We've been trying to find a facility for a long time, but in Napa, property is very expensive. But we're still looking, and that's our main end, to be able to hire some trainers that can help me. Yeah. Help me out a little bit, because I'm very busy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And what are your sources of revenue that you have now to help support Canine Guardians? Mostly grants and donations from various individuals and foundations and people we don't even know will donate quite a bit of money. Yeah. And as a founder myself, I know the thought of trying to keep this going on in perpetuity is on your mind. Yes. And so what are the things you're trying to put in place now outside of the current needs? What are some of the things you're trying to think forward ahead on this sort of stuff? Down the road? Yeah. Oh, probably to have more litters so that we can help more people is the main, and I would need help with that. Yeah. And I'm sure the need of people outweighs the puppies that you have, I would imagine. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And we need, uh, you know, more veterans to contact us and, and let us know and that we can provide a service for them. Yeah. Yeah, it is something special. There's no question about it. So I I do want to sincerely thank you for what you've provided me and my family. In our show notes, we will put various ways for people to get engaged and hopefully help you out. I think what you're doing is amazing. You've dedicated your life to something super unselfish and congrats to everything you've done. Thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed another episode of the Good Tidings Podcast, hosted by Good Tidings Foundation founder, Larry Harper. For more information on all the good we're doing, go to goodtidings.org.